0: All right, so we start a new series this morning, and so we're going to be going through the book of Philippians uh, for the next several weeks. So if you have a Bible, open it up, turn to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. One of the ushers will walk down the aisle and give you a copy. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and raise your hand. We want you to have a copy of the Bible in your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow and an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as you turn there, one of the things I'll let you guys know is that we believe at redemption that um, one of the best ways to to learn the Bible together is to preach through books of the Bible. And so the majority of our preaching calendar is us preaching through books of the Bible. Um, Every once in a while, there's going to be topics and there's going to be thematic things we do, but we believe in preaching through the Bible. One of those reasons is we, we see in Scripture oftentimes where they're reading entire Scriptures together. We see that in the Old Testament, particularly in Nehemiah. Um, it also gives us an opportunity um, as people to be able to learn how to read and know God's word and live God's word together. Uh, three, as for those of us who are teaching, it's good because we don't choose um, which topics to talk about only. So whatever it is that the Bible is writing about, we have to preach on, even if it's something that we wouldn't normally preach because it's difficult. For me, I just go out of town that weekend and let somebody else do it. But, um, so we have, we, we, we have that as well. Uh, and so primarily what we're going to do is see through books of the Bible. And so Philippians is where we are going to be at uh, this, this, uh, this morning and then for the next several weeks. Well, here's a little deal. When you start up the book, you usually have to give an overview of the book. But I was thinking about what's the best way for us to do this, uh, particularly this morning. And I thought about it in terms of when I think about preaching or particularly discipleship. Um, I had something that come to mind. And that is a couple weeks ago I told you how um, I was going to go see the Avengers movie, The Endgame. I'm not really into... Um, like Marvel movies, like that's not usually something I, I'm, I, I'm into, but I did like Black Panther, right? And so, anyways, and so <laughs> I was, I was going to, my, my sons were really into it. I'm like, all right, but I need to catch up. So I went online and looked at like, what do I need to do to catch up? And it was like, I had to watch this 40-minute YouTube video um, and then watch Infinity War to at least know what was kind of going on in the movie. And so the way I, I'm, I'm thinking of this is when we got to the movie theater, there were my kids who kind of knew everything. And there was me who knew enough to be able to, to know what's going on. And then there was my wife who knew nothing, right? And so we got there and the kids are kind of like almost annoying about it because like, well, that's this person. That's this person. Did you know this person's really left-handed? You? Like, and it's like all of these facts that you, did, you, you just don't really need, right? And, and then I knew enough to go, I can follow along. And then there was Holly who didn't know enough, and like she kept, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? There's a point I'm like, stop, stop. Like, you know, if you don't know who Falcon is, you don't know who Falcon is, right? You got to figure it out later. Now, but the movie in itself is a good enough plot and it's a good enough movie that even if you haven't seen anything that you would be able to enjoy it, right? It was enough that even that wife and all of us were drawn to tears when no, I'm not gonna give it away. And so <laughs> there's there's some good parts in it. So I think about that when it comes to discipleship is that there are some of us, like my kids, that we've been around Christianity and been around the Bible enough that when I say turn to Philippians, you're like, Philippians, right? You know what it is. Some of you guys are like, I think he meant Philippines right? And, and you know what? That is, completely, that is completely fine, right? And so, like, the point I'm trying to make is we all don't know, like, as much as sometimes we think we do, right? Some of us know a little bit more. Some of us know enough to know what's going on in the Bible that we can follow Jesus. And there's some of us, like my wife who are there, are going, who's Paul? What's a Gentile? Why do they keep talking about circumcision? What, you know what I mean? Like, what are these things that are happening? Here's what I know is you can still learn the Bible and you can still watch what's happening in the life of Christ through the scriptures. And the same way that my wife can enjoy the movie without knowing it, but the best thing you gotta do after that is keep going on your own and maybe watch more of one of those other movies, maybe read a little bit more, maybe know who those particular characters are. And then every time you go back to the movie, there's more and more and more about the movie that you begin to learn. What we need to see is when it comes to the Bible, there's never like a one-time thing in which we just read the scriptures and we know everything. Um, I've read the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation again and again, and yet every time I open up the scriptures to learn, to teach, or whatever, I'm constantly learning more and more about the Bible. So when it comes to Philippians, here's my quick overview. First, we gotta understand this. Philippians is a part of the New Testament. There are two testaments. There's the old and there's the new. And it's not that they're separate, there's just a continuation. In the Old Testament, what we see is God creates a world that's beautiful, good, it's right, and true. Sin enters the world because of our rebellion, and then God doesn't quit on his project, but in fact, he makes it his mission to be able to redeem all of which he said was good, which is all of creation. He does so by choosing a people called the Israelites, and he gives them his law, gives them his presence, gives them the prophets, gives them everything that they need, and yet they still fail in their mission to love God and to love their neighbor, that they would be a witness of who God is get to the end of the Old Testament and how is God going to do the thing that he says he wants to do, and that is live with us, reign with us, and so forth. Well, New Testament starts, and we get the four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God enters in flesh in Christ Jesus, and he does something that Israel could have never done. And that is, he becomes perfect, he becomes righteous because he is God, and he dies on the cross for the sin of the world, and God raises him from the dead to give new life. And so what God was doing in Christ is showing that though death has come into this world, and though sin has fractured this world, now, through the power of Jesus, there is new life. And any man, woman, and child that believes in Jesus and wants to partner with, participate in in this good news of the Messiah that we begin to now partner with God in his mission to redeem and restore all of creation. So when you get to the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels, they're letters or what we call epistles. And epistles are letters, and what that means is they're just letters. All right? When you read the book of Acts, what's happening is the book of Acts is an account of people doing what Jesus told them to do. When Jesus was resurrected, he looked at his disciples and he goes, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you to go around, but I want you to teach people about who I am, what I've done, and teach them to obey, to hear and obey all that I've said. And create these Jesus communities around the whole world. And so Acts is about them going to places teaching them about the gospel of Jesus, and how to listen, believe, and obey all that he said and that he did, and then go and start another community. starts first with Peter and a group of guys, and then there's this guy named Paul, actually his name was Saul, and then he became a Christian, and they named him Paul, and then Paul began doing the same thing in different places. Primarily, Paul went to cities that were predominantly non-Jewish people, or Gentiles, which is anybody who's not Jewish. And Paul would plant these churches. So the way it would work is Paul would go into a city, usually an urban context. So he would go to a place like, say, he comes to Tempe and he would meet with some people that would trust in Jesus and he would get them to start a church, a small Jesus community and say, do this throughout this whole area. And then he would leave. And then he would go to another place where God wasn't present and a place that needed God more than anywhere. So he would go to Tucson. And then he'd start there. And then he would go and he would, you know, because we had to see that God can do all things, right? And so... He goes there, and he would start churches and little communities there, and he would leave. And so by the time he gets to El Paso, what he would do (laughs) is he would, I wonder what's going on in Tempe. And so he would write a letter. Now, oftentimes these letters or epistles that he wrote, they would write to people who, because there was controversy that was happening, there was something that was going um, sideways when it comes to what it means to follow Jesus that he would try to correct. And then every once in a while, there would be a letter in which he wrote primarily just to encourage them. When we get to philippians one of the first letters that was written paul writes this not because there's conflict like we read about in corinthians i'm not because there are people who are being lazy and so forth like we read about in thessalonica not because there was a type of opposition of people trying to dilute the gospel like we read about in galatians it is paul writing this letter as a friend and one of the things to understand about the epistles the epistles are looking at the entirety of scriptures into the resurrection and then making sense Out of the gospel, what does it look like for men and women and children to live in their particular context in light of the Messiah being the Lord, King, and Ruler? And so when Paul writes to the Philippians, he's writing to them as a friend. He's writing as someone who loves them. He's writing to them as someone who misses them. The context of Philippians is this. Paul is writing in prison. He's in prison in Rome. And the reason why he's in prison is because of his faith. Because he is saying the opposite of the dominant culture. Dominic culture says that there is one Lord and his name is Caesar. And Paul, because of the proclamation of the gospel, says there is one Lord and his name is Jesus and he's the Messiah. And everything else bows in submission to who he is. And so that opposition puts him in prison. And so he writes back to this church and many churches. This is why some of these letters are called the prison epistles because he wrote them while he was in prison. Meanwhile, in Philippi, what we have is we have men and women and children who are having opposition because of the same thing. That there is pushback from their culture against them because they're saying caesar is not lord jesus is lord he is ruler he is authority and he's reigning and he's alive and there's pushback and there's persecution in there so paul encourages them so the next question will come is well how did the church get started well if you go back and you read which you should um in acts particularly chapter 16 what we see is that paul wants to go one place he has a vision he has a dream of the Spirit of God saying, don't go to that place. And there's a vision of a Macedonian man said, hey, come here, preach the gospel to us. So Paul wakes up after this dream of the Holy Spirit speaking to him and says, I was going to go here, but now I'm going to go here. And they get to Macedonia, and the leading city, or the main epicenter, the urban center, is Philippi. And Paul gets there, and usually he looks for what they call the man of God or the man of peace. Someone who's just a person of peace who usually is a Jewish person that believes in God but may not know about the work of Christ. He does not find him. He actually finds the women of peace, right? And the women of peace are led by a woman by the name of Lydia, who, by the way, was bad um, in a good way, right? Lydia is a seller of purple goods, not purple drink. Um, and, and it's like, so what, she's a seller of purple goods. That means she had her own fashion line. Like, she was doing it. Bam, right? And so she had that. She was leading a bunch of women who would go and pray by the, wi- the riverside because oftentimes they'd pray in synagogues, but they didn't have a synagogue there. So they would go to the river and they would pray. Paul meets with them, and that's how the church was started in Lydia's house. She believes upon Jesus and says so does her family and her kids, and they all got baptized, and the church was born there. Now, while that happened, Paul was continuing to preach the gospel. There was this woman who was doing... um kind of like fortune-telling, but she was, like, she was a slave, so she was making money for the, for the person who was trafficking her. And so Paul preaches the gospel to her, calls out the demon that's in her, and now she's restored to life by the gospel. This guy gets upset because he's not making money, and then causes in such a way that Paul goes to prison. While in prison, the gospel still is preached, and the Lord begins to move in the lives of the jailer. And so there's this beautiful stories that are happening that God was at work in this place, and Paul loves these people. So now when Paul writes back to them, And this letter, there's a couple things we need to understand, is that this letter centers around three things. The Philippians, their love with Paul, but ultimately their mutual affection and partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel is not mentioned more in any other letters as it is mentioned in Philippians. That Paul's main concern in encouraging them is not just encouraging them on how many people are gathering, not just encouraging them on how creative they are, not just encouraging them on anything that they've done, but encouraging them through the hope and the message of the gospel, so that the proclamation and the message um, and the life of Jesus Christ may, des- may be displayed in Philippi and through the ends of the earth. A couple things is Philippians, if you've been around church for some time, there's a lot of verses in Philippians that people have, they, they know them, like, you know, to live as Christ and to die as gain, or, you know, they're like coffee mug verses, a lot of coffee mug verses in Philippians. Um, there's Philippians 4.13, that if you were an athlete growing up, somehow if you quoted that or got it tattooed on you, you'd become Michael Jordan, which, <laughs> which is not true, it's usually taken out of context. I could do all things through Christ, watch me dunk. Never mind. Right, it's like not gonna happen, because it had nothing to do with that. And the reason why coffee mug faith doesn't work is because it's not meant to be on a coffee mug, it's written to be written in our lives and our hearts in such a way that we begin in our lives to display the love of Jesus Christ, amen? So as we look at this, think of it as a letter from a friend to friends and how they both love each other and how they are loved by Christ. And so the section we're looking at this morning is one through 18. The bulk of our time will be one through 11 and it's Paul's prayer for his people, and so pick up with me. Um, oh yeah, if there's a title for this one, um, which I thought of this morning, the title of this sermon is "Day One Homies." So you can urban dictionary if you uh, if you like. <coughs> Philippians chapter one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Christ Jesus. I want you to think about the first friend you ever had and when I say friend like someone who you connected with whatever it is that you connected over just think about that first friend where you're like man I really connected with them. And maybe maybe you have that friend still to this day maybe you don't um, for me the first like deep friend that I had as deep as it could be at that age was a kid by the name of Aaron um, we lived in the same apartment complex and for whatever reason, we just connected. We played with each other and so forth. Now, most of my friends I connected with at that age, 8, 9, 10, over sports. Not the, not the case with Aaron because Aaron was not good at sports. In fact, he was the opposite of good. Um, the Lord did not bless him with any hand-eye coordination. Poor soul, right? But we con- I would try to get into what he was into. But then we learned just to, like, somehow spend so much time together. And what we would do is go around and we would get, you know, cans, what kids used to do back then. We'd collect cans, and we would take them to the grocery store and and get the money from the cans. And there was this place called Sal's where we'd go and get the money that we got from the cans, and we'd go to Sal's, and we'd get Pogs. You remember Pogs, and we'd get Slammers, and it was just 90s amazing, right? And so we hung out a lot. Aaron told me that his family was moving. And you can only imagine the conversation of eight and nine-year-olds. Like, it's not, like, elaborate. Like, you're moving? Oh, man what part of Vegas are you guys moving to? Is, that, is it Henderson or, right? You know, like, you know, I, I just knew that he was moving to Las Vegas out of nowhere. I'm like, when are you moving? He said, Sunday. I says, all right. Now, I've told you guys this before. Sundays were like blackout dates for my family because the way my mom did church was all day. And so Sundays was not like something else you would do. People would say, let's go play football on Sunday. I'm like, I can't. I'm like, what about after church? I'm like, there's no such thing as after church, right? Because <laughs> that, that was like Monday morning. So I told my mom... I said, here's the deal. We got to come home after church this Sunday. Oh, no, you can't tell me what to do. I'm like, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm just saying we at church every week. Side note, one of the reasons why I think I became a Christian later in life is because I think I O.C. I think I overchurched. Um, just, what the, just remember that. After you're signing your kids up for all of life camp. So <laughs> we, we. We we we're like I said they're leaving at five o'clock. Well, mom, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Then we go to my grandma's house. We we'll go to somebody else's church. By the time we get back to my car- apartment complex, I go knocking on Aaron's door. I'm knocking on his door. The neighbor next door comes out. It's like, are you looking for the? They were the Ruiz. The R U I Z, is, and they and um, and like, they they left already. And I, I just sat there and I, I, was, I was crying. One I was so mad at. I might be still mad at my mom. Um, I was so mad, so mad because they left and I lost my friend. Now. I have no idea. We have no connection. Uh, the first time I tried to look him up was w- when MySpace came out. And it's like, but there's a lot of people with the name Aaron Ruiz like, in the world. And so it's over, right? Friend gone, connection lost. Uh, no. And so my wife, on the other hand, she has a true day one. Her friend Jamie and her have been friends since they were little kids. Jamie lives in Seattle. Holly lives here in, in, in Tempe. And yet the two of them, Just mesh. There's ways in which they connect at a level that even as her husband, I I can't connect with. There's a deepness that happens when you've shared so much life and so much so so forth together that you are able to be in a sense like there's a closeness and a oneness that happens in mutuality of a friendship that way, that is deep, that is intimate, that is right, that is beautiful, and that's true. I, I I say that because that is what we begin to look at in Scripture when it comes to friendships. And we don't talk about this a whole lot, but when you look at the Bible when it comes to friendships, it's not the way that we think about friendships. The way that we do friendships is different than what it would have been like in the Roman Greco world. Here's what I mean. There were letters that were written um, by many of their philosophers and so forth about how, in some ways, to even write a letter that would be for a friend. The way that Paul writes this letter is written in that same structure. And there was different layers of friendship. There was the, the bottom layer would be need. And they would talk about that. That need would be like a mother and there's a son. The son needs the mother. So there was a relationship there and somewhat of a friendship. And the next one would be for like pleasure and entertainment. Like this would be we like the same soccer team. We like to do these things together. We like to go to this place together. And so it's a lot of fun. And we call this today community somehow. We just kind of hang out. And And then there's another layer that's loyalty and trust. Meaning it's peer, that I'm going to treat you like a peer, and I'm in this relationship for you, and you're this relationship for me. And it's not just the affinities that, that bring us together, but it's something far deeper than that. What, what we begin to see when Paul writes to the, the Philippians is that's what he's talking about. It's not just that I need you because you're my boss and I'm the employee. I don't just need you because we like to hang out together. We like to have a good time together. Um, Like we need each other and love each other in intimate, deep ways. And whatever it is that's going on in your life, in some ways is going on in my life. And there's an affection that's there that oftentimes that is foreign from the Christian community. Yet it's not foreign from the gospel. There's a disconnect. If you go whether you're a believer in Christ Jesus or not, what is common with many people in our culture, and our country, in our city, is this epidemic of loneliness. That people don't feel together though they could be in a room with hundreds of people and yet not have that sense of being connected. And, and, and partly is because we don't know how to be, hear me on this, we don't know how to be in intimate non-sexual relationships where we are fully heard and seen and known and can be all of who we are and bring all of who we are to people. We don't really bring all of who we are to God, and therefore we don't bring of who we are to people. And so we have these like two different types of selves that is distance, and yet in that distance, in that gap, there's this longing of saying, I want that, and yet how do I take a step to get it? Paul here gives us what it looks like. And it's something that's not rooted in ethnicity. It's not rooted in political parties. It's not rooted in geographical locations. It's rooted in the very, very heart of the gospel. And that is one fully giving themselves to God because God fully gave Himself to them. And then in doing so, fully giving yourself to the other, and and that you may be known by that other person. And here's how it is. I can't describe it. Like I can't. But you know what it's like when you sit down over a cup of coffee or something else and you meet with somebody, you talk with somebody, you're at their house, they're at your house, whatever it is, and you walk away and you go, man, I just experienced that person. Sometimes it's hours, sometimes it's, it's just 40 minutes. Like there was something that happened there. There, there. There's a level in which we can go to that it's not just permitted, but encouraged and by the Holy Spirit when there's a connection on the gospel of Jesus Christ and we care more about His name his fame, his glory, not what it is that we know or what we're trying to conceal, but we can fully be ourselves, present before God and present before others. And Paul gives us a glimpse of like of what that's like, even in his prayer. Read with me here, verse 3, it says this. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the from the." From the first day until now, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul first says, first, I remember you. I'm praying for you. Um, I I remember who you are. I I know that God started a good work in you. He's going to finish it. And he says this, because we're connected because of our partnership in the gospel. Now, that word partnership is not just because we got along with it, we went to the same church. Um, No, no, no. The word partnership, one has an ideal of a financial commitment. And that is, Paul was in prison, and while in prison, Paul needed a gift basket. And they sent someone from the church to go, we need to financially care for him in the ministry. So they had sent um, a person to be and encourage him. He goes, I love that partnership that we have in the gospel. That partnership is not only just in business, but it's a partnership of saying this is where we meet at, that we meet ultimately at the cross of Christ. And that's something when people meet at the cross of Christ, there, there is a level of Um, unity that happens there, because we are equally as broken. As one person says, it is one beggar telling the other beggar where we both can find bread. That's what discipleship is. And that when we meet there, there's a level of humility that happens because we are looking at the one who is exalted and ultimately died on our behalf. He says this partnership with the gospel is not about us just having community to end on community. That community in itself, biblically, as he's saying, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in our demonstration and our actions and words in such a way because we're loved by God and the way in which we love one another. Paul begins to encourage them. He says, and I know that he, speaking of God, did a good work in you. Who started it, he's going to finish it. Now, we've heard that before. Some of us have heard that before. Again, that's the coffee mug. That's the coffee mug you walk by and go, that started, that's a good coffee mug. And it becomes abstract. When it comes to relationship with the gospel is, it's not abstract. The reason why Paul says that is because he is in in prison because of his faith in Jesus. He knows that the Philippians are going through something very similar. That because they are believing and professing and living that the Lord of all creation, the true king, is not Caesar, but is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom we all have salvation that that there's 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 opposition and there's pushback and so there is the think of is it going to last is this just a thing or 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 is there a way that we know this is going to have its completion paul writes that not an abstract way he writes to go hey he that opened up your eyes to see how much he loves you and what he's done on your behalf that same one who started this he's gonna he's gonna remix it first and then he's going to finish it <laughs> to completion, right? <laughs> so there, th- that, there is this affection. Well, then Paul continues here. And you be, begin again to see the affection that he has for him. He even says that word. Verse 7, it says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Let me, when it comes to our Christian friends, how many of us ever use words like this? Right? How many of us ever go, listen, I remember you. I'm praying for you. I feel this way about you. I want to encourage you in Jesus. Even though I'm I'm away from you, you know, I'm, I, I have affections for you. Right? We, we, we think those are only reserved for romantic relationships, and when it comes to the purity of the church, especially sexually, um, whether you're married or you're single, having intimate, non-sexual relationships where people can look deeply in your eyes and tell you how much they love you, gosh, we are desperate for that, we're desperate for it, we don't know how to say it, um, but we're desperate, we're desperate for it. That the body of Christ is not just a bunch of little individuals with individual stories that somehow just gather in a room together to be refueled spiritually and then go out and live their individual lives. It's a bunch of different stories that are wrought with brokenness and beauty that are brought together to understand their oneness by being together as the spirit pours himself out. That we may be one even though we're not in the same proximity or even geographical location witnessing to the same gospel that brings us healing to the rest of the world. So if you think about your your Christian friends, and when you think about um, what it looks like to have relationships deeply, um, and to partner with the gospel, there's a few things here that we learned from Paul, just just a few observations um, that are present in these relationships. The one is that there's prayer. I mean, this church, like we said in Acts 16, it started because some women got together and said, we're gonna pray, right? The church always starts with prayer. prayer. Prayer is not so much about us getting God's attention, as one says, that prayer is actually God getting our attention, that, that, that we begin to see who he is and connect with who he is and then with each other. But there's prayer here. And not only they're sharing in prayer, but they're able to share in encouragement. I don't know what it is, and especially a younger generation, of which I think I'm still a part of, if you guys let me, is, is, is that we don't know how to encourage each other. Like, we know how to encourage on performance. Like, I'm glad you did this for me. I'm glad you did that for me. I'm glad you're good at this. I'm glad you can take care of that, which is very good, and you should do that. But just to encourage people with the hope of the gospel, and not in some weird churchy way. Like, you know, you, you know how it is when it's overly churchy and it doesn't feel, it doesn't connect, you know. So it's how you going? I'm blessed, I'm, hi- I'm highly favored, God is on the throne. And it's like, okay, never mind. Um, it's to be able to encourage somebody with the hope of the gospel because of what God is doing in their life. Paul, Paul tells them, and not in an abstract way, right? Let, let's just be honest, okay? And the scope of people here, right? Just, just in my own meetings with people here, there are people who are ex- experiencing extreme highs, like God showed up in miraculous ways. It's amazing, and there are people who are experiencing the bottom of the bottom, All right? There are people here from a vocation standpoint that are living out their faith for Jesus in ways that it's being honored and it's being rewarded even by your non-Christian organizations. Like, wow, this is working, so to say. There are other men and women who are doing and living the same faithful life who are? it's not working. It's actually going directly against them. And there are many of us that are living in the tension of what to do in any of those areas, right? There's all of that happening. So when Paul begins to write to them and says, I'm sure of this, that He begin a good work in you, He's gonna finish it to completion. Because some of us feel like we're so far away from completion that it's never gonna happen. So this is not a mug. This is something to be reigning in our own hearts and lives to know when it looks like there is no, there's no destination and there's no end, that we trust that the one that started it is still at work even when we can't see, taste, touch, or experience it, that God is still at work in our lives. So there's there's prayer that's happening in this relationship there is encouragement through the gospel and what God does, ultimately through Jesus. And then you see something that is also uncomfortable for us, not just encouragement, but there's emotion and affection. Paul, Paul, Paul says, this, it is good for me or it's right for me to feel this way about you. So, so often when it comes to us thinking about Pauline or Paul theology, We usually just give it an intellectual or philosophical understanding. When for Paul, theology is not just intellectual or philosophical. It's always relational and it's always confessional. It's always relationship with people and about people and about God with people. It's confessing about who God is and what he's like and then where we are at in that moment. Paul says, I have affections for you like, like that of Christ. When you think about the affection of Christ, it is, it is that of him weeping over Jerusalem because they would not repent and believe. He feels for people. If you think about the affections of Christ, it's him weeping over his friend Lazarus who dies, though he knows he's about to raise Him back from the dead. When you see the affections of Jesus, it is one who is willing to withgo comfort in order that others may have comfort. There's an affection, he says, that I deeply want to be with you. And we see this affection of Christ in action as he leaves the comforts of heaven in order to get which was not in heaven, which he so desperately desired to be there, and that is relationship with you and me. So Paul is saying, this is just how I feel. Like, like this is where I'm at. And I, and, I, and I get sometimes that's hard for us, but that's the levels of connections that happens in intimate, non-sexual relationships that's possible through the lens of the gospel. And not only is it prayer and their encouragement, and then you begin to see even the emotion, but there's these things where we we call red dot moments around here. And red dot moments are um, like if you're at a mall or you're somewhere and um, you're you're looking at a map and there's a red dot, that says you are here. And you think about your friendships and relationships, how often do you tell people just where you're at? I'm not talking location. (laughs) I'm talking where your soul is and where your heart is and not just your confession because if we're honest there's things that we assent to believe about god and yet our hearts and our souls are so far away and sometimes when it comes to christians we want to go i'm on my way back there i'm not as good as i could but you know the lord's it's like no 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 no. god doesn't need all that spiritual nonsense (laughs) he already knows you right and i read this the other day that god this is so good god sometimes we identify ourselves as sinners and he goes, and that's halfway true, we're not just sinners, we're sinners who are loved by God. And that means all of who we are, we bring it to God, and we don't just bring it to God. Some of the best ways we experience God is by being with God's people. But there's just the presence, the manifested presence of God that's there when we can be honest about, here is where my soul is today. Now, I'm not saying you need to go and do this with everybody, right? You need to have some people that you do this with. Here's what I am saying, too. Just because you did it on a Facebook post doesn't mean that you really did it. There is something wildly different about looking in the eyes of another and being able to write in such a way that your affections and their affections are able to be there in all of its awkwardness and all of its weirdness and all of the things that you will later be, like Brene Brown says, having a vulnerability hangover. Like, I can't believe I just said that <laughs> if I ever listen to Brene Brown. Uh <laughs> and, and, uh, and there's something that's special there. That, that's what we, we see here in Paul as he prays for this church. Again, it's not just theological. It's theological because it's relational, and it's relational because it's theological. Well, Paul finishes this prayer with saying this, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you you may be able to approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, here's what Paul is singers. So here's my prayer: is that your love may abound. Now, usually when you are, your love may abound. Okay, what does that usually look like? We don't usually describe it, put it back up there for me, please. We don't usually describe it as what Paul says: that your love may abound. And he says, with knowledge and all discernment. He's saying to believers, I know that you love, and I know that you know that you are love. I'm praying that it may abound, meaning it may increase. Because what he's talking about is, again, the whole point is that we share together, not just for community's sake, but for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the proclamation and demonstration of the name and fame of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is Lord over all of creation. That he says that our love for this gospel and this God may abound in such a way that it would be expressed through knowledge and discernment so that we may be pure and blameless and having the fruit of righteousness at the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning once it is completed, that what we bring forward is a life that was full of knowledge and discernment. Okay, what does this say? Because we don't usually use used words like this and the fruit of righteousness. Here's what's happening. Paul is saying this, there is a way in which we ought to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is and our knowledge of the gospel that collectively through God's word and other means that we're constantly growing because of love we're growing in knowledge not just for knowledge's sake not just to say did you read this book did you say I don't even disagree with this if I disagree with that right this is literally saying how do we see Jesus and grow in a knowledge of Jesus and then discernment okay we lack discernment uh, we, we would love for the Bible to be written in such a way that says do it this way, do it this way all times. No matter where you are, it's going to be like this. It doesn't work like that. There are certain things in it that's, that we know always true, always do it this way. And there are other things that we have to make sense out of in our particular day and time. So what do you mean? It's like this. we imagine, growing up with your, imagine you knew what it was like growing up with your parents or whoever it was that raised you. And there were certain things they told you to do and there were certain things they told you not to do. And there were certain things they didn't say anything about, but you knew what you should do, right? Right? Okay. So here, so it'd be like you're out with your friends, and, and one of your friends said, hey, we should go do this. And you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Why? My mama don't want me to do that. Did she say you couldn't do it? No, she didn't say it. Well, then how do you know? Because I know my mama, right? Like, because you have been raised in this family, you've been around your mom, you know she ain't going to like this. It's the same way when it comes to our knowledge of Christ. As we continue to look at and understand a depth of a relationship with Jesus, an intimacy with him, and prayer, and so forth, that there are certain things when it comes to our lives, and our particular vocations, the things in which we do, that we can say, uh, this far and no further. Why? Because does it say it in this verse? No, it doesn't say it in that verse. But my relationship with God lets me know I'm not supposed to be doing this, or I ought to do more of this. Paul is saying when you abound in this sort of love, there's a way in which you know how to live. There's a way in which we know how to live as a community. And so what he's saying is this, is that when those who are partnering the gospel, when those who are loved by God in Christ Jesus, that what we ought to do in our lives here now today is that we are to reenact the story of Jesus, but in our own lives. Let let me me say it this way. Um, What we are to do is we are to, with our lives... To embody, um, we're supposed to have an embodied paraphrase of the life of Jesus and words and actions that make sense to our neighbors. Hear me this. An embodied paraphrase. You can only paraphrase something that you know. There's a knowledge part. And the discernment says, how do I paraphrase that and embody in the way in which we live in a way that makes sense of the story of Jesus through my life that my neighbors my non-Christian friends, my coworkers, my family members may begin to know who Jesus is. That's what it begins to look like. And Paul talks about what that looks like here, just to conclude this part, what it looks like when we're faithful to Jesus in the midst of opposition. Verse 12, he says it this way. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, because I've been faithful, and ultimately to them, because you've been faithful. We're, just, just so you guys know, we're not going to experience the persecution that Christ is experiencing. We may not experience it in our lifetime. And some pastors go, well, it's really hard to explain suffering and persecution and it's like no, it's it, it's it's hard because we're not in this particular day, or we're not in particular settings in the country, where in the world where people are. Ours will come in a different way. Ours will come in more of an intellectual ascent. What we believe, usually sexuality, what we believe about humanity in general, um, because our, our our their particular narrative in their day was that Caesar is Lord. Our narrative is not that Trump is Lord or this person is Lord. Ours is that you are Lord. And it's self autonomy. That you get an opportunity to decide what's true, right, good, and beautiful. And you get to decide what's true. And then you get to decide. And it's a bunch of true, right, and beautiful. So to say that there's actually one true, right, good, and beautiful who's in Christ, that in itself is offensive. And the more that we begin to submit to the scriptures in ways that are um, truly tethered to the work of Christ, the more our culture will push back against us. And it's going to be wildly different for us to be able to hand off the faith in which we've been handed off by our family members and people above us to our kids because everything around them is inundating them saying, you are Lord, and nobody can tell you different, yet the Lord is saying, I am Lord, and I'm telling you differently. So it's a wildly different type of persecution, but Paul is saying no matter where you are and how you're living, what's consistent, whether it's in Philippi in this day or whether it's in Tempe today, is that you have to be wildly faithful and wildly you. Hear Hear me that. Wildly faithful and wildly you. Sometimes when we think about being faithful, we think about being somebody else. That when we become Christians, we become somebody else. You actually become more the human who God created you to be. And sometimes we feel like we have to leave that part behind because now we got this new life in Jesus. No, you had a dead life. Jesus breathed new life into you to be who you were made to be in the get-go. That means part of the personality that God's given you is God-given that will continue into the new heavens. So when we think about being faithful, no matter what it may be, Paul is saying, don't worry about my circumstance. I was being faithful, and for him, it means it landed me in prison. But, 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 but Paul, if Paul was preaching in a particular type of church, Paul would say, it landed me in prison, but God. And then somebody would have said, amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> God is actually using it because he says, now every guard in the prison knows Jesus because I've told him about Jesus. So he goes, so whatever it is that you're suffering in Philippi, whatever it is that you will suffer in Tempe, and not suffering from natural causes and death and so forth, but opposition of faith, whatever it is, God who started it, he's actually going to finish it and he's going to use it to advance the gospel if you are faithful to God and faithful to who you are in Christ. And Paul's like, I can't be in anybody but Christ. No, that's not true. Paul can't be anybody but Paul in Christ. And that's the same for us. And then he says this, he concludes, he goes, there, there are people who are preaching the gospel. And he says, some are preaching out of, like, rivalry and self-ambition. And he goes, and some are doing it out of love. But because he's so mature, he stops and he says, but even though one, the, the one that's doing it for selfish reasons, it's actually hurting me more. He goes, but pri- Christ is being proclaimed, so in it I rejoice. <laughs> right, and, and, and here's, here's what I love by that. Paul is is, is essentially saying, don't do not do it out of selfish ambition. Don't preach the gospel to be seen as someone who preached the gospel. Do it because you, because you love God. Do it because you love him and you want people to know him. Like, and do it in a way that makes it you. Here's what I mean by that. When it goes to us, like, responding to the gospel and being the type of friends and people we are, Just do it as who you are. There's nothing worse when you, you know what it's like when you experience somebody not being themselves, right? When a funny person tries to be funny and they're not, you're just like, oh, my gosh, right? If you're a nerd, be a nerd for Jesus and just own it. It is what it is. Honestly, it's not a bad thing. It's just who you are. Like, people just being who they are are more relatable to anybody who doesn't know Jesus. And here's why. There are so many different types of people out there in the world that don't know Jesus, and they need to see what it would be like to be Christians in your life. Alright, two people I want to share with I want to share about. First person, teammate of mine, and I've shared it before, Ishmael. Ishmael was a Christian and he was just a dude that loved Jesus. And the way it showed when you're 19 is if you were a football player in college and you're as good looking and as buff as Ishmael was, and you were deciding not to have sex with your girlfriend because you're gonna wait till you get married and everybody knows about it, and yet you're a cool dude, somehow that that was a message. And we'd always make fun of him and then one-on-one, hey amen, honestly, that's pretty cool what you do. And he'd, and he'd always say, everybody does that. I'm like, what do you mean? Everybody clowns me, and then comes to me one-on-one. And he goes, no, why? I'm like, what? And he goes, because y'all need Jesus. You know, <laughs> y'all need Jesus, right? <laughs> what, what, what Ish gave us was, in some ways, a way of what our life would be like if we became Christian. There was this a sense of Jim just being normal. The next person was a guy by the name of Mike, who was our team chaplain. I, loved, I lo- love him, so love him to this day. I never went to one of the Bible studies they invited me to. Every day, every practice, I want to go to this Bible study. Nope, never want to go, never want to go. But I love the fact that it was normal. Like I would hear him talk, he'd laugh at like normal jokes. He was like a normal guy. I don't know why it is that somehow when we become Christians and we hear Paul, he's in prison. So I need to be not normal. Paul was being normal. It just in this particular time, being normal and faithful landed him in prison, right? So we don't have to become anybody else. What Mike did was he gave an example, at least for me as a, non, as a person who wasn't a Christian, of what it could look like to be a Christian. Listen, Paul is a mature Christian. The mature Christian is easily satisfied. You hear me? He can say there are people who are believers out there preaching the gospel, and it's not my style. But you know what? Jesus is being proclaimed. He's a mature Christian. He doesn't need the sermon to hit. He doesn't need the worship to be on point. He doesn't need particular people to be at his church. Because a mature Christian is easily edified in the work of Christ if Jesus is exalted. We live in a particular day that the church cannot be fragmented. Because there's not a lot of people that are claiming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the days of going, the church down the street doesn't really preach the gospel when they do, but it's just doctrinally different than us. Or the church around the corner doesn't really preach the gospel because they do this different than us. Or they do this. Like, that's pointless. If there is a community, a parachurch, a ministry, a campus ministry, that is preaching Jesus, even if it's not your style, then we applaud it and say like Christ. In that, if Christ is being proclaimed, we rejoice. Because the point is that Jesus' name and his glory is going forth. Not redemption, not me, and not you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you're good. We thank you, Lord, that you have begun a good work in us as a body, that your spirit is continuing that work. And even when there's moments and seasons and ways where it does not look like it, that you will, com- you will complete it. You are the great artist that starts and finish, and that you bring all your creativity in such ways, Lord, that we see our lives, Lord, expressed in you. We pray collectively, Lord, that we would be able to know Jesus as the love abounds and discern Jesus and ways to live for Jesus as love abounds. That we would be able to, Lord, paraphrase the life of Christ and the mission of Christ in ways, Lord, that we are connected in intimate relationships, that we are praying, that we are honest, that we are loving. And in those ways, Father, that the world around us that does not know you would be able to understand and see and taste how good you are. God, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.